Welcome to the Future Now Media Podcast, where we believe a future now is a future one. I'm your host, Peggy Kim, and I'm the founder and president of the Future Now Media Foundation, which is a nonprofit leadership incubator for the media and entertainment industry. In this podcast series, we'll be talking to some of today's top industry leaders, executives, and professionals. We'll also hear about their personal and professional career journeys, what makes them tick, how they got to where they are today, and what they've learned along the way. And we'll also share some of the best content from our Future Now live events. So stay tuned. The media industry has been going through major changes over the last five to 10 years. And the rate of change has gotten faster and faster and at a rate that seems impossible to keep up with. Advancements in technology have been the driving force of these changes. And then you throw in business, media, culture, and human behavior. It's a whole new media environment. On today's episode of the Future Now Media podcast, John McMenamin addresses some of these challenges in his keynote on the state of the industry, which took place at the 2018 Future Now Media and Entertainment Conference. John is the president and chief operating officer of Media Village, which is a leading research, content marketing, and business development company. Throughout his career, John has been at the forefront of developing and launching innovative ad-supported content platforms in television, print, digital, mobile, and retail marketing sectors. John talks about today's new media environment, how we got here, and where we're headed. He breaks down some of the key aspects of the industry's transformation. He talks about data and analytics, the barriers to influencing media decisions, and the new monopolies. Take a listen. I've been tasked with 20 minutes to talk to you about the state of the industry, so that's an impossibility. So uh, we'll try to wade through this as, as not as quickly as we can, but with some good pacing. And as part of that, as I talk about the state of the industry, I'm going to bring in certain concepts and terms that I'll explain a little bit. So it's not just the state of the industry, but hopefully you'll get some learning around what those in the industry speak about. So um, Media Village. I was just introduced as the president of Media Village, and it's appropriate just to talk about it for a second because it's germane to the presentation. Media Village is the industry's leading um, research, uh, content marketing, and business development company. And our clients are about 75 of the leading media companies that you would all heard of, digital companies, emerging startup companies. And part of this presentation as it relates to Media Village is very simple. We do a lot of research, we spend a lot of time with the senior management at media companies, so a lot of the learnings that you'll hear in this presentation are derived from real world meetings, real world situations, and real world stories with the leaders of the media companies in the industry. So, state of the industry. I think everybody knows that it is a world of market disruption. Uh, there's a lot going on and you know, if you want to think of it in context, new technologies, what do they do? They challenge legacy companies' business models across all industries, whether it's retail, as we know what's going on now with e-commerce, or media. They often deliver better efficiencies and cost savings. And they can also, beyond efficiency and cost savings, radically transform business models for the better. So there's two types of companies out there. The 40% that keep their legacy or linear mindset and look at it for cost efficiency and savings. And generally those companies, as transformation moves on, either limp along or fail. 
And then there's visionary companies that embrace the power of new technology and they enhance their opportunities, they enhance their competitive advantage, and they thrive. So if that sounds like today, that is under the guise of everything old is new again. The time period was the early 1900s and the new technology was intelligent electrification. So the 40% that failed saw electricity as a way to keep the lights on and had less expensive powering of their factories vis-a-vis -vis coal powered steam. Those that were smarter saw they could run different factories on different floors in different ways, gain a competitive advantage and move. So we see the same thing happening today as it relates to how Amazon, Facebook and Google are literally, and you'll see it in the presentation, undermining the business models of NBC Universal, of ABC, of BuzzFeed, of big companies like Oath, formerly AOL. So today we're in the stages of another industrial transformation, but it's even bigger and broader because it really affects all of you and all of the consumers uh, in the country today. So the new world. The new world is really Facebook, Amazon, Google, Netflix, YouTube, and Apple. The billions of dollars that Netflix is spending on content is challenging the business models of ABC, CBS, NBC. The same thing with Apple and Amazon. It's a new way of delivering content. Consumers are taking content and consuming it differently. New advertising models have been developed, so it's really upended everything. And it's also changed the consumer. There's a whole new consumer out there. There's new consumption and um, dynamics and personalization that you guys all probably use. There's cord cutting, which brings down television ratings, over the top, time shifting, e-commerce as we know it. So what that has done is that is driving consolidation. So we know we have AT&T and Time Warner, which I'm sure you've all read about going through their merger, of which a decision will be made on June 12th. We have Disney, who was buying Fox, until Comcast potentially is coming in to, for an all-cash offer for more money. So there's further consolidation. We have what just happened, probably the friendliest one, which was Discovery and Scripps. And then you can look at the most venerable magazine publisher in the history of magazine publishing is now owned by Meredith, who literally was producing Better Homes and Gardens and magazines like that out of the Midwest. And then who would have thought that two phone companies, AT&T potentially on June 12th, and Verizon would own two of the largest media conglomerates in the entire industry. That's how much things are changing. And when things change, companies lose their value. A year and a half or so ago, Snap went public. It was the hottest stock. They were gonna go out, sell $100 million packages of advertising. Didn't quite work that way. They shifted their model to more of a programmatic model. Their renowned head of sales, Jeff Lucas, who came from Viacom is out, and Snap stock is pre-IPO, below pre-IPO. Twitter, it's a name that you hear every single day of the week, losing, losing users. Mashable, valued at you know, $300 million, was bought for $50 million by Ziff Davis. Yahoo is owned by Oath, which is owned by Verizon. Huffington Post is owned by Oath, which was owned by Verizon. And print, down the tubes. So a lot going on. And it's a radically new media environment in a couple ways that are really different. I don't know how many of you heard of the CES, Consumer Electronics Show. 15 years ago, that was a consumer electronics show in Las Vegas, and you go out there to see gadgets. You go out there today and you see new technologies, you see media, you see Netflix, you see everything that's happening, right? They get 400,000 people there because we live in a transformed world of interactions between business, media, technology, culture, and human behavior. All of those dynamics 
are coming together to change what's happening. And the primary, the tri primary driver of change are the consumers of new technology and how they're ingesting content and advertising and using those technologies. So the other scary part about today, and it's not all scary, but this may seem scary as we look at it, is that we're actually operating in a market that is zero to flat to down. In 2000, the legacy media companies basically controlled 100% of the share of 500 and some odd billion dollars in advertising. As digital came on in 2010 in a bigger way, uh, they controlled about 540 million and digital began to creep in. If you look out to 2020, the legacy companies are going to be at about 350 million and digital is up to 245 million. So that's a very scary concept for the NBC Universals, the Disney ABCs. And even on the Fox front, you know, a lot of the analysts are saying, you know, why would Disney want to be paying so much money for a business that isn't growing and we'll see what's happening. But they have to do it because everybody needs scale to compete with Facebook, Amazon, and Google. And we're going to see a little bit of that later down the road in this presentation. So it's a really tough, tough, tough market to operate in. Furthermore, most of that digital growth is what used to be below the line, shopper marketing, where you had couponing and things like that. Now you can reach consumers mobily and digitally is being bought above the line. So that's what's also driving that, that digital growth. So now you look at how Google, Facebook, and Amazon begin to come into the picture. The job of media and advertising was to obviously reach consumers, okay, hopefully convince consumers. Then there were other things to engage consumers and to activate them at retail. And those were, you know, trade allowances to get end caps or off-shelf displays, couponing, things like that. But as technology came in and as our world evolves, there's a lot of different things that um, marketers look at in terms of reaching the consumer on what's called the path to purchase, from a consumer first being aware of a brand through their path to that brand and into the retail environment, hopefully for activation. There is pro, uh, propensity modeling, there's inexpensive programmatic, there's ad targeting, retargeting, uh, there's one-to-one -one dynamic content emails over there on the far left. We're living in a world now of one-to-one -one versus one-to-many marketing. And then there's addressable television. So what you see here is all the different ways that um, marketers look to reach consumers along the path to purchase. But if you strip everything else out of that slide and how you deal with demand generation, first purchase, repeat customer, indecisive, loyal, lapsed, you see that TV, radio, out-of-home, digital, the legacy media businesses are still used for reach and they're still used for convincing. But Facebook, Amazon, and Google fall in the reach bucket. They fall in the convince bucket. They fall in the engage bucket. And they fall in the activate bucket because they have superior data and analytics to track the consumer and to also take credit for attribution, which is the last impression that drives purchase, okay? And they have so much data and analytics that for the big, say, CPG companies, they actually have offices in those companies. It's like the fox in the hen house, where they're explaining to the marketers how to best use their services 
to drive across, reach, convince, engage, and activation. And that's a real big thing. And it's such a big thing that if I have my next slide right, you'll see it here. This is a study that we just came out of the field that um, uh, interviewed 750 agency and marketing folks. And if you look at the different categories of media in terms of going into the next year or so, where they will not increase media spending, they're not sure at this point, or they're definitely going to be increasing their media spend, 57, almost 60% are definitely going to be increasing their media spend with Facebook, Amazon, and Google. And then you can go down, syndication, general entertainment, news sports, all of that on the slide, and the definitely's range from 20 to 25%. So, you know, it's a very, very competitive world being dominated by these monopolies, Facebook, Amazon, and Google. And, you know, you talk about digital, you even look at second tier digital, we don't mean to call them second tier, but companies like Oath and BuzzFeed, et cetera, even they're there at about 24%. So that's literally the impact that Facebook, Amazon, and Google have on extracting money from the marketplace and putting extreme intense pressure on legacy media companies' business models. And they do it through data and analytics. It's one of the most important things out there today. Okay, let's drop down a little bit and talk about some of the barriers to influencing media decisions and some of the roles that you guys might be looking at, you know, as you think about, you know, a career in, in media. So you start with the marketers. The marketers in the old days, 10 years ago being the old days, used to trust the agencies to make the decisions. The marketers now control the power and the agencies are being disintermediated. The marketers control the power, but they control it in a different way. They have their own set of data and analytics that they use. The CMO job, which used to be the big marketing job, let's say at the consumer packaged goods company, is now a pass-through job. The average tenure is three and a half years. It's not a career destination because it impacts or is filled by people a lot of times that don't even have marketing experience. When people think of procurement, right? I was just down at an ANA conference on procurement in, in, in Florida. The procurement people didn't really have media backgrounds, but as they have gone along, they fully understand it. And they're negotiating on price off of data and analytics. Chief financial officers will assume a marketing role. So the role of the CMO has changed very, very much, but the marketers still control the power. There's overwhelming choice. And everybody has their own types of data analytics, but the marketers have what they feel are the most important, their proprietary ones. There's new evaluation tools, there's marginalized access, but most importantly, and you may have read this with the departure of uh, Sir Martin Sorrell at WPP, because there's been a lot more press on it, but everybody's trying to figure out the agency model and is the agency, agency holding company model broken? We also live in a gig economy. There's a lot of smaller agencies. There are a lot of independent people that bring value to the marketing process that work on their own or with a couple of people independently. So the agencies are losing their influence. The agencies have their own set of data analytics. Then we go to the sellers. And the sellers are feeling very, very disintermediated. Disintermediated meaning how do I get to the people that I want to sell my stuff to that are going to give me money for it? Because they always had the ability to get to the agency. 
It was tough, but they could get to the marketers, but it's much, much, much tougher now. But if they get to the agency, they know the agency is no longer their primary stakeholder as it used to be, and they have their own set of data and analytics. So now you've got the marketers, the agencies, and the media sellers all with individual sets of data and analytics. The closest to a consolidation is OpenAP, which is shared by Fox and by uh, Viacom um, uh, and, and Turner, okay? But everybody's sort of moving in different directions. So when you look at this and you think about where you might want to work, it's all good, but there's all a lot of change happening and a lot of different things going on from that standpoint. So as you look at your career, you know, we talked about electrification, and then you can see what we're speaking about now with the whole transformation going on in the media business. It's important to understand the past. I mean, if somebody understood companies that didn't embrace the technology aspect of intelligent electrification, that would have been a company that would have limped along and gone out of business. So everybody thinks we've got to know what's happening today. We've got to know about the future. Never discount understanding where things came from because it's going to help you make better decisions around where things are today and where things are going to be going in the future. So make that a discipline for yourselves. Keep learning, okay? There's two types of learning. There's academic learning. Did I get an A? Did I get a B? And then there's learning because I want to learn. You've got to keep educating yourself. Nobody knows, and you can feel very comfortable about this, Nobody knows 100% of everything today because there's too much to know. So if you feel like, damn, I don't know everything, I'm only about 80%, maybe I'm about 70%, that's kind of the new normal. But you've got to keep learning to stay at that 80% and not worry about whether you're at 100%. Because anybody that tells you they're at 100%, they're not telling you the truth. Okay. Intellectualize your role. And I've said this for years, there are people that work in the magazine business. There's people that work in the cable television business. They know everything about that business. But the best way to success is to know everything about that business, everything about who you're competing with, the digital companies, the print companies, understanding the marketers' promotional budgets, the marketers' media budgets, the marketers' channels of distribution, the retail dynamics. In, in other words, know the complete marketing and media picture, not just the role that you're in. Proactively engage in cross-functional collaboration. What that means is get involved with other departments who are doing different things, and there's a real reason for that. Well, this may have sounded, you know, a little bit of a bummer as you hear about flat spend and all that. The media business is not going to go away, and with all the technology, the media business has hundreds of more job opportunities in different areas than it did 15 years ago or five years ago or 20 years ago. So the importance of working cross-functionally is that you may be in a great job and you may find out that working with another department, that's even cooler, I like that better, that works for me better. And you can begin to transition yourself around and also gain broader skill sets. And then finally, obviously, embrace change, right? Everybody needs to feel comfortable with change. Well, embrace change and also be a change agent. So the last story I'm gonna tell before I finish is a little personalization. You may say, well, gee, if I get into a job now at my age, how in God's name can I be a change agent? How can I embrace change? You can do it by thinking intellectually and doing it incrementally. 
So when I was 22 years old, before I was in the media space, I sold frozen food in New Jersey for a company called Apelts and Sons, and I drove around, and my orange, on purpose, purchased that, Datsun B210, without air conditioning, dumb move in the summer, and I was selling frozen food, so even a dumber move, right? And my job was to sell frozen food to nursing homes, hospitals, whoever would buy it, restaurants, but also schools. And so I'm going in there with cases of French fries, hamburgers, hot dogs, Jamaican beef patties, and you know, it was all cases. It was very, very, um, okay, everybody's got a case of food, right? How can I make this a little different? So I sat home one weekend, and I looked at all our food, and I said, for the schools, I'm gonna create a menu. So on Monday, there'll be Jamaican beef patties with French fries and called string beans, whatever it was. Tuesday was different, Wednesday was different, et cetera. And then I divided what the case cost by the product on the plate, and I was able to go in and say, let's just take Monday as an example, Monday is Jamaican beef patties. It's gonna cost you $1.17. You're gonna charge $2.50. And the administrator looked and said, oh, that's great. You kind of figured out my week in, in a way. And so my sales started to go up. The company looked at it, and the whole menu solution was delivered, was, was now part of our entire selling process, and our revenues went up. So all I was was 22 with Jamaican beef patties, thinking how I can sell it different, and I created a menu. And that, and that it was big to me then, but it's really incremental change. So think of it incrementally. Think of it as a contribution. It's a big world. It has tons of opportunities. You guys all have phenomenal skill sets. If you don't find the right place the first time, you're gonna find it the second time, which is why I talk about cross-functional collaboration. Be successful, be leaders, and have fun. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Future Now Media Podcast. You can also follow us on our Facebook page, as well as on Instagram and LinkedIn. Till next time, I'm Peggy Kim. And remember, a future now is a future one.